Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the NRL Bulldogs Fans Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the NRL Bulldogs Fans Podcast. I think this is going to be a massive one. I think there's going to be a lot of talking points. So why don't we kickstart it? Matt, you got something to say straight up? Yeah, mate. Um, yeah, I just wanted to start off with, there was a tweet today by Phil Gould. Now, we're going to talk about what happened last week between the Bulldogs and the Broncos a little bit later. But there was a tweet today. Someone basically tweeted Phil saying that um, Bulldogs fans, or a lot of fans, are pathetic um, with the uh, with the reaction and uh, actions of fans towards Jaden Lockenball. Uh, he goes on to say that you know people are starting p- p- petitions and doing polls to have him dropped. It's disgraceful. Now Phil responds to this saying that that he would not. We will talk on the topic more at another time. He's not impressed. If you'll not respond to any such comment, you will not converse with those who target individual players or coaches. I I think Phil needs to come out and explain to us what he means by target individual players or coaches. Because, um, let's get it straight, if anyone's out there being discriminative in any way, shape or form to any player or coach in any club, that is not acceptable. But if you're saying that... Uh, fans and members who have supported the club continuously for years and years and years, who have been around longer than five minutes, cannot voice their opinion at games or on social media about how the team is going. That is a complete joke. Uh, you and I were both at ANZ Stadium on Sunday night, Scott, with mm. 13,500 other fans, which I thought was a pretty decent turnout for that time slot uh, against the out-of-state team. But... If you take out every fan in that crowd that said something about the performance of Jada Lockenball that night, I said just before we started recording, you'd be left with 2,000 fans. You said you'd only be left with the Broncos fans. This is not online bullying. This is not... uh, Look, I haven't seen the petition or the polls, so maybe there's been some wording in that that's gone too far. Um, But like I said, this is not online bullying. This is... Loyal fans who have stuck with the team for a thick and thin having an opinion on a performance of an elite athlete or uh, somebody who's coaching elite athletes. If you can't handle that, you shouldn't be in the position. Mm. No, 100%, 100% well said. Um, people pay their money or watch the games or buy membership tickets, uh, merchandise items from mm. the club, whatever it is, big or small. You're entitled to an opinion. doesn't mean your opinion's right, but you're entitled. And I'd say, safe to say, well over 90% of the Bulldogs fan base are scratching their heads when they saw Jade Nockenbohr actually named in the trials at starting winger. I thought mm. some people were thinking that he would be someone coming off uh, in our New South Cup side this year. Um, and then last week against Brisbane... He didn't help his performance, and people are entitled to. It's been Jaden Ockenbaugh, the same old Ockenbaugh story throughout his entire career. Yeah. He's got loose, uh, very scary when he catches the ball. You, yeah. Your heart goes in your mouth when he goes for a run because you think a ball's going to be dropped. And then his biggest problem, which is coming in and defense, and it's I always defend a uh, – usually try to defend a winger because it usually follows your sen- senders, but he's standing right next to 
yeah. a center who and hasn't look, even walked in or has even moved in. And, and that's that's not like you, know, you got a little bit off point there because I we could talk about the Bulldogs' performance as a whole and individual mm. players when we get to the game. Uh, and look, Phil Gill might come out and say, look, what he meant by target individual players or coaches is discriminative Coach. behavior uh, or stuff like that. But you can't stop fans voicing an opinion. No. Um, I've had people say to me after the game, um, we've been hard on this podcast on other players. Let's go Lachlan Lewis, where you and I weren't a fan of him being in the team, but we had a large portion of the fan base say, no, he should be in. And when he was left out, uh, they were starting petitions to put him back in. Mm-hmm. Um, those people had come to me saying they've witnessed uh, on uh, at the game on Sunday night. It's completely different. So if, if all fans are in agreement, um, or 99% of fans are in agreement, or, or whatever the figure is, um, and as long as it's not discriminative, you can't tell fans they can't have an opinion because you won't have fans. Mm. And if you accept poor performance, um, you'll end up like the West Tigers, where the West Tigers are right now. Now, if we move it towards the coach, targeted coach, what does that mean? There's only one head coach. So does that mean targeting Trent Barrett? No one's targeting Trent Barrett the person. No one wants Trent Barrett the person to lose his livelihood. No one wants Trent Barrett's family to go through the stresses of not having him earn a living. But Trent Barrett, the coach, he won three games last year, was it? Yep. One a wooden spoon. It's gone one from two to start this year, which is not a disaster this year, but big full pitcher. There's not another coach in the competition that wouldn't be under pressure given that situation, given the teams that were playing in the next four weeks. He's not Craig Bellamy. He's not Wayne Bennett or Trent Robinson that can go, yeah, the last 14 months have been really bad, but we've won premierships previous. We'll get back to it. Mm, He's he's a rookie coach. He's coaching resumes. Great. In terms of head coach. He won three games last year, which was the worst performance by a Bulldogs team since like the 50s or something. Um, And people are demanding results. We had Andy Raymond on this podcast saying that Bulldogs fans demand results mm. and saying similar things about uh, about Trent Barrett being under pressure, how how hard it's going to be. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we get some clarity about that. But if if that's referring to fans not being able to voice opinion, well, we might as well wrap up the podcast here, Scott, and not come back. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it'll be interesting what Gus says. I got yeah, I haven't actually seen the um, the tweet? petitions or anything, or even oh, the tweet, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. I haven't actually seen any of it. I, all I've seen is the responses. I've actually seen responses by Seagulls fans uh, mucking around and saying, thanks, T-Baz, must be manly at heart, naming Ockenball on the side and stuff like that. I've seen uh, the actual fans yeah. wondering what shop has done wrong because they've, they've got someone who yeah. could fill in that void or chopped and changed and i've seen like a lot of fans being confused by jay knockenball getting a run and they're entitled to voice their opinion i have not seen one person attack jay knockenball the person mm-hmm. just jay knockenball the player um questioning whether he or not he would make a top grade side in any other team mm. and why should he make our side this week that's all i've seen yeah around that 
I'll tell you what, I really wanted to start this podcast off on a positive. I wanted to, despite the loss, despite the how we lost, I wanted to start this podcast off on a positive. Um, but I saw that this afternoon, I'll tell you what, it really irked me. Because mm. people have been, how long have we been members for? How long have we, like, supporting the club non-stop? Yeah. Supporting the club non-stop uh, in every which way. Merchandise, memberships, our time, doing this for fun. Finals match. If if we can't have an opinion on something that we care about that deeply, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's let's keep on this negative wave um, and go down the path of. Um, we'll get to some positive later, but um, sixteen ten loss to the Broncos at Anzard Stadium like Sunday night, thirteen thousand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thirteen thousand five hundred people turning up to to watch the night, which I thought was actually pretty decent. And um, the fans done all they could to get the dogs over the line. They it did. sounded sounded a lot louder than 13,500, uh, both at the ground, and then I like, went back and watched the KO Mini um, through the TV as well. It sounded loud as well. And um, I was really impressed with what, the way the fans turned out and really tried to get the dogs over the line. Yeah, it has, it has been a while since it was a game where the fans I've never like as involved and mm. stuff like that. I really think they actually bought us the we bought the penalty of Jake Avrillo's shot and tackled in the air, late hit. Mm. Um straight away the boos rang around and then the referee blew the whistle to the mouth and gave a penalty. And I thought that was a real home ground advantage penalty. Yeah. Where straight away it was calling for um a penalty and got it. Um I yeah, I want to pat the back of the crowd at thirteen thousand, I swear it sounded like twenty five thousand people there um everyone got got involved and did yeah like you said did everything in their power to get the bulldogs over the line um but should we start with some controversial stuff you want to talk about the obstruction yeah, let's start with the obstruction yeah. um every right. day of the week it's a penalty uh yeah saw the reactions of the broncos players Looking at the big screen when they, you know, had that little bit of a pause, and yeah. uh, looking at Aaron Reynolds, he didn't look overly too positive. He wasn't really lining up the goal kick too much. He went from originally lining it up to slowing down and stuff like that. He wasn't positive on the try. Uh, the Bulldogs players looked very positive that they were going to get the call their way. Braden Burns takes a dive, yeah, drops to the ground, gets the penalty, yeah. gets yeah, the and it's look, that's it, not the way it should be. It was one of those ones where it happened in in the crowd. You went, oh no. You look up at the, oh, we'll get to the big screen later, but you look up at the big screen and um, on the first replay, it was, for me, it was one of those ones where I saw it, went, yep, that's the structure, and just sat back down comfortably knowing the bunker will overturn this. Yep, that's what it was, I did It was that clear. It wasn't one where you sat there going, oh, could be, or might not be. It was, yep, that's clear. That's everything that we've been looking at for the last, I don't know, 18 or two years now. And um, the way the obstruction's called, uh, and it's consistent with what's happened in the trials in the first couple of rounds this week, that is an obstruction every day of the week. And the call just never came. And I was I was actually really glad to see, I'll give a rap to Trent Barrett here. I don't know if you've seen the press conference, but mm-hmm. he brought it up in the press conference straight away and said uh, the famous line, now I don't train, I don't teach them to dive, but um, 
maybe I will now because that's exactly right. If Braden Burns cartwheels, and we'll see that this weekend now because of that call, we'll see players barely being touched and they'll do a somersault 360 through the air with a backward twist just to show the... <laughs> that, 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 that's right, that's right. The German judge will give it a 9.5 um, just to prove that they, they were touched in the defensive line. Uh, off the back of that. And uh, what was also disgusting, I thought, this week was um, Graham Annesley trying to explain why it wasn't the wrong call, it wasn't exactly the right call either. It's a it's a judgment error. No, it's not, mate. It's black and white. You could see Graham Annesley's hands go sweaty, his throat tighten up as he starts making his way towards that topic at his weekly, um, his weekly wrap-up of what happened on the weekend. Um which is absolutely ridiculous and unfair. Um, I was also well, reading somewhere Kevin Walters said very, very lucky to get one, get that one. Well, there you go. Look, the type of game it was. Now, this is the interesting thing. This is the thing I want to bring up. I've had so many people say, oh, yeah, but the Bulldogs had so many chances to score. Uh, yep, that's correct. And, and they didn't score. Um, they would score twice. They could have scored like six or eight tries if they took their opportunities. Absolutely correct. But... It was a tight game that was 10 or at the time. Because of that wrong court, made the score 16-10 and the score didn't change. Mm-hmm. So regardless of the fact of how many opportunities were missed by the Bulldogs, or the Broncos for that matter, either way, the fact of the matter is that incorrect decision is the six-point difference on the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that if the penalty was given, the Bulldogs would have scored off the back of that, but we'll never know now. Mm. The Bulldogs could have, off the back of that, that would have been two tries disallowed to the Broncos in about five minutes. The Bulldogs could have took that as a, a huge emotional win, got some energy back in their legs, ran down the other end. One of those passes might have stuck and scored. Now, I'm not saying that could, um, would have happened. More than likely, it would have been 10 all. We would have been going to go to point, but uh, the opportunity was never given. Well, we did get the penalty at the end. You start to think if it was 10 all, got the late shot on Jack Avrillo. Yeah, that yep, changes our go. option to go for two, and we take that, the win at twelve ten. That's right, but that's another possible scenario finishing if everything played out the this, same way this, after this thought process of oh, but the dogs had four other chances to score a try and didn't. I don't see how that's relevant. Mm. Because so what if you're saying that if um, if the dogs had zero chances to score. If the dogs had two chances to score, and that's how we got 10 points, and no other chances, and this happened to be a problem, but it's only not a problem because we had other chances, mm-hmm. give me a break. I'm on, I'm on fire today, Scotty. You are on fire. Anyone over 60 in rugby league at the moment. Mm. <laughs> well, I want to actually go to another controversial call which caused the fans to boo. And yeah. it happens to involve Braden Burns again, the poor bugger. The true. strip, the strip core. Yeah. Uh, there was a three in the tackle, which is obviously under the I mean, what's been the last two seasons that you can pull out and rip the ball. So if as long as they all get out of the tackle, um, they cleated the bunker cleated as well. Unfortunately, I think that was a a fifty fifty core. What could have went the Bulldogs' way, in the sense that he was on the ground, and I felt like he was he wasn't fighting for anything and. I felt like the tackle was done. I felt like they took too long, Brisbane, in my opinion. Yeah. And I thought the tackle was completed. Watched it live and thought, yeah, he's tackled. The ball stripped. And I, even though I watched Brisbane run away with it, I was like, yeah, we're just going to go back. Either we're going to go straight to a penalty. It wasn't a penalty. I looked at the screen and thought, yep, they're probably going to overturn this because 
I felt the tackle was completed. He was on his backside. He wasn't moving anywhere, and they stripped. I thought the strip was way too late, way too late. Um, but in saying that, like it's not as controversial as the other one. I feel like that one's more of a, you know, you got to judge the tackle. How long, like the old argument, how long can a tackle go for? Well, it depends on if you're a dominant or how the tackle finishes type of thing. But I thought we had a, we could have, you know, asked a bit of questions around that because I felt like the tackle was already completed. Yeah, By the look, time they pull, peeled off. I'm going to have to disagree here. I agreed with you at the stadium <laughs> when it was happening in front of us. I've gone back and watched it. I think technically they got the call correct. The ball okay. was up off the ground. There was still movement in one direction um, and all the other players fall off. So I'm going to say that that one was correct. But how um, many times do we see a player get dragged backwards towards the end goal? Yeah. And they're still moving the referee because held, 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 and they get yeah, dropped this, in the This time is moving of... forward. And, yeah, yeah. Like, but... it's a, they need to fix that up if then because, or a player gets pushed towards the sideline in an aggressive manner from 10 metres out, and they're all running, and the referee will just scream held because they're scared, mm. like something's going to happen. If that's the case, then we've got to allow players because we've got, we were pushing Broncos back in one stage, and you could mm. hear uh, the held call while their legs are still pumping backwards. Why is that held? Yeah. While they're running backwards, and it's not held if he's on his backside. I'd say Braden Burns was more tackled than anyone else. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Um, I, I'd just say by the letter of the law, I think that one was was okay. And I suppose you could look at it and say, if Braden, you, you could, if you watch the replay again, you see Braden trying to get his hand that's not holding the ball to the ground. Uh, I think for a quick play of the ball. Um, you could argue, I suppose, that if he had that other hand up around the ball and not worried about quick play of the ball that hasn't has a cup and he might have held on to it as well. Which I don't want to be too critical of Brody because I thought he had a pretty decent game. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get to some positive stuff. One more negative. Oh, one right. more negative. Okay, towards right. the end of the game, sixteen points to ten. Uh, Bulldogs had, you know, the last they had a couple of opportunities to do something special. Usually, when you get to that stage, the game is usually over. But you know, you. See something special. Um, the Bulldogs won out. A lot of one out stuff towards the end of that. Trent Barrett, the mastermind attacking coach, we've been told that he is. And you you save these trick plays. You train trick plays for moments like this. When you're down by six, you know, you muck around in the backyard as a kid. You know, down by four, down by six. You've got like 20 seconds left on the clock or a minute left on the clock how you play the set out. And the Bulldogs, I don't know if it's a confidence thing that the players went back to old habits and just safety players getting to the end of the set, but that's not going to cut it. Like, what have they been doing at training or what like, what can he do to install confidence in those players? Because we have a, we have possibly the, one of the greatest wingers in this uh, last 10 years of seeing Josh Adokar. You have the speed of Matt Dufty. You have Tavita Pengo Jr., who just loves to offload and create second-phase footy. you got Matt Burton, who is just, you know, a, ha- a handful to, you know, when he decides that he wants to run the ball. Um, we have enough strike power in our team to have really caused Brisbane Broncos some headaches. But I felt at the end, apart from the kicks from Matt Burton, it was very, very simple, not yeah. even stressing the Broncos. Like, what have we been practicing? You know, these are the set plays you practice in... Mm the off-season and a little bit in the week when you get into a scenario when you're down by six or down by four with only a handful of minutes or even less than that on the clock. How do you push it to golden point or how do you steal a win from underneath? We saw the Sharks steal a win. 
at, at home on the weekend. Like, you know, it happens. It happens. The Sharks did it. Um, feeding it to, uh, you know, a second a second rower into a try. But, they, you know, they're throwing questions at the Eels and they cracked them at the end and, and stole it. What can the, you know, the, what the Bulldogs were doing, it even... Uh, even look like anything was going to happen except for a Burton drop. Hopefully, Burton bomb will cause the drop ball. So, what have they been practicing, or what was like? Who's going to get clearer? Is it just a young team that was just struggling mm-hmm. to do something, or was it something that um, you know, that they haven't practiced those scenarios enough? I'm sure they've practiced it. It's probably the quality of player in the key positions. So, Mad Tufty's been playing pretty decent, I thought. Um, oh, I he's played but he ha- hasn't really proven himself over a long period of time as a ball-playing fullback. Uh, you've got Burden, who's, who's been fantastic. There's controversy over who the halfback should be. Um, and you've got Josh Jackson ball-playing, which we've mentioned is maybe not his strongest strength. And Jeremy Marshall-Kick, who's a great mm-hmm. runner and hooker, but hasn't really proven to be that game manager out of hooker like a Cameron Smith. Mm-hmm. So those players in those positions... Uh, not linking up and gelling as well as they can. Um, yeah, all right. Let's go to some positive though. Tavita Pegai Jr. in the front row much looked much better. Mm. So it was an interesting one because Corey Waddell uh, was named at prop. Yeah, in the, ju- in the jump, yeah. fifteen. I went with the idea that we're playing a a smaller pack and a more mobile pack to try to stretch. Uh, the Brisbane's big boys out and um just forgot about Tavita. Blah, blah. What about Tavita? <laughs> forgot about Jack Harrington. Yeah, yeah. They, they were two options. They were two, they're two like, you know, players who play in the back row who have played a lot of their career at prop. Mm. And we I went with the idea of oh Baz is trying to stretch out the uh the Brisbane. Uh, we're gonna do a lot of short short balls in the middle. Um someone like Waddell maybe a little bit quicker than the average prop, trying to see if he could, you know, cause some headaches with a bit of speed. You know, something what New South Wales tried to do in Origin a few times with a more mobile pack. And that's what we thought. And then you watched them at kickoff and you saw uh, Tevita Pengo Jr. line up on the dead ball line. You're like, idiot. That's what I thought to myself <laughs> anyway. I was like, you're an idiot, Scott. Yeah, but he played well, though. 148 run metres um, for 20, 20 runs. So the average could be, will get better um, over time, of course. Um, in tackling ways, he um, just struggling to find the number here. <laughs> he made. 12 tackles. Yeah, okay. he came on and off not, a lot, a lot. Yeah, yeah, he was um, playing 15-minute spells. Out of eight interchanges, we used four interchanges getting him off and on, off and on, which was a we tactically limited interchange era. Dangerous, dangerous. Yeah, yeah, I think we made our last interchange with like 10 minutes to go. Uh, other positives, Corey Waddell, what a game he had. Um, playing second row, he had his head cut open at one stage as well, but he ran for the most amount of metres in our team, out of the forwards, 189. Um, he was a workhorse. He's been great this year, hasn't he? First two it's, games. Corey first Wilson, two games. Really well. Um, Josh Adekar's, um involvement is high. Dufty's been, I thought, pretty good, chiming in at the back. Matty Burton, though, you touched on it a little bit earlier, what about those kicks? He's got the best kicking game in the NRL as far as those high torpedo or floating kicks uh, into the backfield. There was times where Tessie Liu and uh, Sewan Cobbo just were not, <laughs> we're not having any of that and just mm. let it bounce. There was times where Tessie had the old wobbly leg 
under the wobbly knee under a couple of those bombs as well and spilled one up to in level, particular. They got up to level six. Yeah. Of a course stadium. They got up to level six, and I'm thinking, how is that possible? Tell you what, the bombs made the uh, big screen look small. Yeah, good one. But <laughs> do you know what I must say? I have never seen excitement for the Bulldogs' kicks mm. in a long time. If you listen to the crowd, the ooh, yeah. ah, like, you know, the drop ball, the crowd, every single time Matt Burton put foot to ball, even off a kickoff, the yeah. fans were going, ooh, and I'm thinking something was going to happen Every single time, even if it was a, if the Broncos missed it, they got celebrated. If it was a knock on, it was celebrated. If it was the, you know, the wobbly knee and dropping backwards, it was celebrated. Mm-hmm. Every time Burton put a kick in um, from 40 plus out or even 30 plus out, putting it up in the air, the whole crowd just got behind it. And, you know, we've had those kicks for years where it's just, just up and over, easy yeah. catch, giving away 20 meters from a set start. We're now got a kicker who can turn a really bad set into a good one just off yeah. his own foot. Uh, he's kicking the ball 50, 60 metres mm. on the fly. Yeah, he's just absolutely belted. But the other thing, I've watched it on TV. I've but That was the first time I've ever seen Burton live playing 5-8 um, at the stadium. Every other time I've seen him play in the centres for Panthers. So you don't really get to see him kick the ball much. And I've seen him on TV a fair bit where he's playing at Penrith and halves. And obviously the couple of games it looks effortless on tv mm. and then it looks even more effortless live where it looks looks like he's just putting it to his foot he must know the sweet spot of that ball oh, obviously because yeah. he is not it's not the massive swing of the leg it's not a massive jump he goes into he's not doing the mitchell moses 25 yeah. meter jump in the air he's just i think his height must help him too eh? he's just he's, hitting he's that very he's a very tall he looks he's bigger in person than he is on TV. Yep. Um as well. So I think all of that uh comes Sweet into it as well. Ball. And obviously he, he works very hard on his football. So um okay. yeah, absolutely. He's definitely got he needs a bit of a bit more of a controlling half, in my opinion, next to him to to really unlock him completely. Yeah, well um, that's another conversation. Jake Avarillo. Uh yeah. Phil for him because I I feel halfback I feel if Jake's a half, it's a five eight with a controlling halfback. Which is funny that you say Matt Burton yeah. is a controlling halfback, but there were so many opportunities where he decided to dummy and run, and he was running into a, a Brisbane Bronco brick wall. When yeah. you know he's got to get the ball out, he's got to get the ball out. He dummies and runs, and then when there's times where he's throwing the ball out, you you say you wouldn't mind giving him a run because he's got a one-on-one opportunity against a bigger yeah. body that he yeah, can try Broncos, to slide through. Broncos really took Avarillo's time away, um, and it, to me, it showed that he's. And a lot of people have been saying this, but he's not a he's not really a halfback in, in rugby league. He's a great player, but not a halfback. And yeah. uh, I think uh, at times in the game against Brisbane you saw exactly exactly that. Mm. Let's touch on the New South Cup. We'll come back to the NRL with our three two ones yeah, later like and we'll talk about the big screen. But while we're on this topic, New South Cup, the Bulldogs were down, I think it was twelve nil. Then it was forty eight unanswered points. Um Yeah. No, actually, it was 10 nil. Raiders kicked a penalty goal after the Bulldogs' first try. Oh, was it? Okay. There we go. To make Thanks. it 12-6. Okay, sweet. So it was 10 nil. I was going to say, I felt like it was 10 nil. Uh, and then the Bulldogs come back to win 48 points to 12. Um, there was a couple of really great performers in this, wasn't there? We could have almost gave three two ones out of this. Now, I don't want to target any players, Scotty, but 
It's been the theme of the podcast. Keep going. <laughs> I don't want to target any player and put a, anyone at the club or feel a bit offside, of course. But I thought in the NRL, the right winger had a, a few issues. Mm-hmm. We didn't touch on when we were talking about the NRL. Um, but in the, the New South Wales Cup, all players that played wing or centre, I think maybe a better. Yeah, all all players in this one's cup that played wing or centre against the Raiders, I think would be a good selection on the right wing. Mm-hmm. That's a fair call. I'm not yeah. going to argue with that. Isaac Lumi Lumi was on fire. He um he made that one error, but God, didn't he make up? For yeah, it? I, yeah, he made one error. And look, all the boys did. There was wasn't a perfect game by any stretch, uh, but Lumi Lumi. Played really well. Jacob Carraz, it's the first time I've seen him play in person and he really impressed. He's got some international, yeah. Yeah, got some speed on him. Actually, I did see him at the nines, I'm pretty sure. But yes. um, in a 13-man game, he was really impressive. Uh, Zach Docker-Clay added something off the bench mm-hmm. um, as well. Credence Toya, a uh, little bit of a ball hog <laughs> at times. I, I, to be honest, i got to call it how you see it. But um, really exciting at, at other times as well. And now... The reason we're talking about this last cup is because of the performance of Kyle Flanagan. Mm, I reckon it was a perfect half performance by both the the boys, uh, Kyle Flanagan and Brandon Wakeham. Um, I want to highlight something. He put a bomb in that Xavier Savage, the Canberra Raiders fullback, uh, one of the exciting talents coming out of the Raiders setup who I thought might have actually started the year at fullback for Canberra. I, I think he's a good player. Um, you would have seen a lot of him last year filling in for Charles Nickel Klockstad. Oh, he's um, going to be a superstar, yeah. He dropped a bomb from Kyle Flanagan that looked similar to what Burton was going to produce a little bit later on in the evening. Yeah, well, we know Flanagan's been working on a new kick in the off-season. And yeah. we finally, he didn't really get to see it in the trial, or did get to see it at all in trials. Um, How could you if? Yeah, six months. Yeah. So I go back down that road. But um, we saw it in the Cup. Um, what about the tricep for Curtis Moran? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was just going to pull up um, some stats while you were talking there, um, because there has been reports on the performance, as well as other performance in the Lusuas Cup. But Flanagan had set up two tries, uh, so two try assists two line break assists, ran for 58 running metres, um, and he had uh, two other try involvements. Mm. He was involved, and I see, I'm actually seeing on social media that Wakem was the, the star of the game, um, that Wakem was this, Wakem was that, and Flanagan did didn't get, Flanagan did, oh, I'm not trying to take away from Wakem, because I thought Wakem, yep. I thought it was a good half combination, I feel like these two um, gel quite nicely together, and I feel like, um, but, not taking anything from Wakem, and Flanagan didn't get involved much. Flanagan didn't get involved much. So thank you for pulling up the two... Two try assists, two line break assists, and another two try involvements uh, in running for 58 metres. That Curtis, that Curtis Moran try, uh, mm-hmm. that where he ran... He ran straight towards... Into the, straight into the yeah, attack? He kind of like... He ran the ball, but he had his whole body facing the right. Like he was going to go right. He was going to go to the short side on the right-hand side. Yeah. Everyone saw it. I saw he was going short side. Next minute, Curtis Moran gets the ball in his chest on the left of him, yeah, running just... through on the outside shoulders of all the Canberra defence, sliding towards yeah. the right. And Curtis Moran, 
you can tell when a try has been that well set up, they couldn't lay a finger on him. He went straight yeah. through. Thank you very much. I'm going to score. Good hole running and, you know, good, you know, alert yeah. for them for both of them to look out. But when you set up a try and the player doesn't get touched, you know, it doesn't have to really beat anyone, just has to run the line and score. Mm. That's when you know it's a perfect try assist because it was set up on a, a platter for Curtis Moran. Uh, to yeah. just slide straight through the Raiders' defense, and there was no one in Kui of him. Yeah, Kyle, he, Kyle, he targeted the A and B defender, straightened up his shoulders once he caught the ball, uh, and then nice little ball on the inside. It was been, beautiful. Moran may have been brushed, but um, it's a bit more. It's a bit like um, I hate to do this again, but it was a little bit Nathan Cleary like. Yeah, no, really was playing. Um, I don't know if these. To have familiar with with each other because I know Curtis is not on the top thirty, so I don't know how the the training works uh, too much. I know Curtis was the Jersey Flag Player of the Year uh, mm. last season, um, and he's you know he did really well in the cup game, and he's looks like he's glued a bit of a bench spot to start the season in cup, but mm. and the alertness and stuff like that. But I don't know if it was a them two you know having a chat and thinking come with me on my inside if I see an opportunity. I'm going to hit you. Or was it Flanagan saw someone pushing on the inside, hit the ball to him, and went, oh, there you go. Curtis went over for a try. It could have been anyone yeah. like who was alert enough. It was good from both. But Flanagan, what I'm trying to say is Flanagan trains full-time with the NRL boys. He trains maybe one or two sessions. And look, that New South Cup game was a strong game. Like It was almost first grade. Like first, not really good exactly first grade standards, but too. half of each team were first grade standards. Yeah, Raiders had Savage on the field, Hoppawadi, um, Sam Williams, Williams, Mariotta, Ryan Sutton, Clay Webb, Harry Rushton. Uh, it was refereed by Phil Henderson. So. <laughs> it could have <laughs> been mistaken as... if you just just put your eyes on. It was an NRL game. Yeah, it could have been was... an NRL game from mid this season after the COVID Goes through the players, who knows? Um, it was it was a pretty good quality game, which is the point I was trying to make there. So obviously we don't need to hamper the fact um, how much we would like to see Kyle playing and give it a shot, extended shot in top grade. Um, but there's some stats there to go towards that. Um, good start to the season by the Bulldogs in the Cup as well. We'll get more on that, I guess, a little bit later. However, uh, a core stadium, as it is now called, as you've corrected me a bit earlier, uh, has this big, big times eight big screen. 120 metres on the southern end. The great yeah. southern big screen, is it called? Uh, the great southern screen. Or the great crap. southern screen. Uh, it has the scoreboard right in the middle uh, of the big screen. Yeah. You've got two, two live action screens um, on each Either end. Side. And yeah. then it's an advertised billerboard board. Uh, before kickoffs and yeah, tell you what, cool, cool stadium marketing team made a big deal about this. Um, it was very underwhelming. Oh, I, I liked it, but it's a screen. Yeah, I know it's a screen. I like 120 meter screen. I like the scoreboard high. in the middle. Yeah, it looked nice. Whatever. But the best, the, the time it looked the best was when they showed the Accor advert in between the Resource Cup and the, and the LRL. Mm. Uh, which was obviously designed specifically for that screen. At halftime of the NRL, they made the screens that were running for the whole time, the live action screens, twice the size, um, which I thought, oh, this might be pretty cool, except the ratio doesn't fit the screen. So all you saw was a bunch of chests running around the field. Mm. 
Um, for $10 million, I was extremely, extremely underwhelmed. Topic, a little bit. Just mm. a tad off topic. Wouldn't it be better for a core stadium, and I was having a chat with someone at the game about this, if they had that 10 million big screen, if they had one or two of them, put one on the train station end and outside the stadium, wrapping around where the thing where you could flash some signs of, you know, this week uh, Bulldogs are playing whoever, Souths are playing here. Uh, yeah, whatever the AFL is doing, if they're doing anything else there, concerts yeah. that are coming up or whatever other event coming up. And it would have been a real, like, advertisement for people just stopping at Olympic Park um, mm. and going, oh, you know, Bulldogs are playing on Saturday night here or whatever. Or we, should say, or we should say Sunday night because that's what we get. Um, Either that or spend some money on making sure that there's not scaffolding, holding up roofs and just appearing in the middle of stands while um, elite sports are supposed to be playing. Mm. So <laughs> interesting. But yeah, I would have thought, you know, having on the outside, like uh, Bank West, or Combank, sorry, Stadium and... Uh, like the ICC Theatre in Darling Harbour having adverts mm. of events rolling through, I thought it would have been better. You could have put one on the train station end, one on the car park end, um, even yeah. if it was a little bit half the size, but it would just, you know, roll different events, ads on, and how to get your tickets, and All right. et cetera. A little Sounds bit off topic. Good. Let's go to our three, two, two ones. ones. Who have you got for this week, Sully? Start off with your number three. Number three, I've got Jeremy Marshall King. Okay. And three points. I thought, you know, he does what he did best on the weekend, and that's when he runs. That's when he's at his best, I feel. Uh, he played 61 minutes. He's got a try. He only ran for 61 metres, but it felt like he ran. When he did run, it was good. Uh, four tackle breaks, a line break, a line break assist, an offload. Um, I felt like his attacking game was at his best was at his best and he looked uh looked like he troubled the Broncos when he was on the field. So I'm giving him three points. Alrighty, I'm giving my three points to Matt Burden. Um again, he's 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 a game changer. Mm-hmm. He's an absolute game changer for the team and I think um what he's shown already in the first two weeks. I don't think we win the game against the Cowboys without him. I don't think we're within six points of the Broncos without him. Without him. And um like you can go through the stats if you want. He, he's um he ran for more than 100 metres. He kicked for 420 metres. Those spirals that we talked about earlier. He's a strong defender as well. Um, he's, I think he's the most valuable player in the Bulldogs team in the squad. Yeah, hard to argue. But because I just quickly add, Marshall King had 30, 35 tackles. I knew it was in the mid-30s, but I just couldn't find it on yep. the app. So Who have you given two say, points to? I've given two points to someone you've already mentioned today. It was Corey Waddell, who was named at the prop, played on an edge. He's played the 80 minutes um, this week. He was a real workhorse. I really uh, liked his involvements. He had 20 runs, 189 metres, 73 post-contact metres, three tackle breaks, so he's becoming a bit of a headache on the edge, uh, and 28 tackles. Split his the head open. He, it was a, I thought it was a real bulldog-type performance, and I think when Koiba does at his best... Uh, those are the type of games he has when he's not a, you know, a match winner. But God, it's, when he's oh, on he's his best, some, <clears throat> some passion, some heart, yeah. uh, and a real workhorse mentality. I tell you what, if he keeps this up, he's heading towards the Tony Grimaldi. He's heading towards the the uh, the David Stag. And I don't Sorry. mean I'm not being purely in the tackle department. So don't get me wrong there, but just in the department of grittiness. The Andrew Ryan, the Tom. tough. 
the toughness of of that type of thing. He's probably he's probably the attacking version of those players, and you'd probably say those players were more defending versions, apart from Andrew uh, uh, Ryan when he was younger. Um, but tell you what, he's going towards that status if he could keep it up, uh, which is huge reps. Um, and that's how he's good. And that's how he's going to stay in the Bulldogs team. Sorry yeah. to with Villiam yeah. Kikau coming across, like he could maybe claim a hold that he should be one of the back rowers pushing to Vida in the middle. So yeah, and well, he could I, hold I, the back row spot for eighty. He's doing it for eighty minutes, two weeks in a row. Tavita is a prop in my mind, anyway. So he got laid in the the second row this week. I'm I'm expecting a late shift into Again. the front row. Absolutely. Uh, look, I agree, Scotty. Corey Waddell, two points for me as well. So let's get to your one point. I've gone one point. You've already mentioned him, Matt Burton. Again, I yep. I I agree with what you're saying. I agree that. We're not in game, or there's games we're going to be much closer in. That, or there's going to be games we win if if he stays fit and doesn't miss any games. I'd almost say if Matt Burton gets struck down by injury or I suppose COVID, which he already has been hit by COVID earlier this actual yeah. year, but if he gets another round of COVID or a short injury or suspension, in that period he has to miss a games for, you could almost say the Bulldogs will not win. With him on the sideline, they will struggle to win unless if they got someone like the West Tigers at the moment. Um, mm. But against almost everyone else, I would even say with the West Tigers at the moment, I think they will would mm. beat us if Matt Burton. If you take Matt Burton away from the team, like mm. our some of our poor sets, he can just make a poor set into a good set just with the his left foot. He's bringing a new dimension to our game where you know he's with his left foot. Um, his kicks are creating opportunities in itself. You know, a good kick chase could turn into mm. something, you know, knock-ons, you know, the back three. When he got tackled on tackle four a few times, going sorry, getting tackled on tackle five and seeing Jack Avrillo, you could just see the back three going, oh, thank God. <laughs> like Avrillo's kicking it. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, yeah. that's no dig at Avrillo. That's just the how good Matt Burton is when it comes to kicking on yeah. Whenever he wants to kick. So when he gets tackled on thing and they got Avrilo kick and they just you could just see like the side relief. I would if I was playing that game, would be like, oh, thank goodness he's not kicking back at me again. Yeah. Now I've got one point to Broden Burns. Yeah, ninety eight running meters, uh free tackle breaks, two line breaks, um a try as well, which was uh was very good. Uh, I, I didn't realize didn't realize how good of a try it was until I went back and watched the the KO Mini. Um, Are we sponsored by KO this week? Uh, we will be shortly. <laughs> I keep saying it enough. Um, <clears throat> start your free trial this week. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, one point for me for Braden Birds. All right, so that gives us an update on the 2022 Player of the Year awards. Uh, Matt Burden is the runaway leader at the moment on eight points. No surprise, early favourite. As long as he doesn't get injured, you pr- probably expect him to stay there. Um in second place is Max King. Interesting enough, on five points, I think, because a few players are, are sharing points. Well, he shared points last week too, so, mm. so maybe uh, that's why as well. Uh, in third place, tied in third place, uh, we have Braden Burns on four points. And out of nowhere, uh, Corey Waddell straight got in two points from both of us this week. Uh, and Jeremy Marshall King is in fourth on three points. Oh. Before we move on to further down the well, the podcast and we're going on to different topics, I just wanted to do a quick shout-out uh, to the Broncos' uh, faithful podcast, it is, um, giving us a couple of tickets. We were able to do a giveaway 
on Saturday to give a couple of tickets to um, a Bulldogs fan who was able to sit in the blue zone. Uh, so CJ from the Broncos Faithful podcast, uh, who's actually helped us with the logo design as well. Uh, he's someone who's uh, always, you know, reaching out to us, giving us a message. He was, he said he had a couple of tickets. Unfortunately, with his location and time, he could only watch the game uh, because of the kickoff, and he wanted to give it to some Bulldogs fans and felt like, you know, with you know playing in Queensland last year a lot last year, he thought it'd be really fitting that um, it went to some Bulldogs fans to watch them play. Um, so thank you so much for that. And it's a new podcast for anyone who likes the rugby league. You know, if you some interviews with some Broncos players are coming up, I can't tell you too much more because it's going to be announced on his socials. There you go. Well done, CJ. Amazing, um, selfless act there. And that, well, that was, I was going to say that was going to take us to the Bulldogs versus Raiders, but we touched up on that. Um, pretty yeah, much the so big headliners, Flanagan and uh, Wakeham, surely one of them. Can get a yeah, crack so, shortly in the so halves. Re- so round three of the NRL, um, going to um, what used to be the shittest ground in the NRL. I still think may, it's may now be the second shittest ground. Are you going to say in the NRL? NRL. Oh, man. I, I don't know how yeah. you play the construction site, although there was scaffolding at a core stadium as well. I don't know if I've mentioned that already. Um, um, so two or three times. <laughs> Four Pines Park, Brookvale. We actually got a good record there from from memory. Um, I actually think we have a chance to win. Yeah, if I had to tip now, if you tell me in the tipping combo, I'd probably say Seagulls will get their first win of the season. Um, oh, absolutely. Just, I'd be tipping merely too, but um, that I wouldn't be, harsh. Wouldn't be surprised uh, if we, we we get a little bit of an upset this weekend. If we could shut down Drabojevic the way uh, he has been shut down in round one and round Roosters, two. Yeah, Roosters and Penrith, yeah. Um, yeah, I reckon definitely um, we've got we're in for a chance of having a slight upset here. Although in saying that, I'll also say there's a chance we'll lose 40 now. Mm. There, see, it might sound hard, but yeah, we've got to eliminate Jason Saab like both Panthers and Roosters have done by just bombing him and getting mm-hmm. him tackled straight away because um, watching the Manly games, I don't know if Jason Saab knows how big he is. He mm. almost doesn't run... He runs like a small winger, trying to make sure he doesn't get flattened, and he just gives away meters. Um, but would, we should be bombing Saab all day, and just you know. I think the other, the other thing with Saab, he's a bit like Ockenbaw in the fact that um, left and right movement mm. is not is not his strength. Um, mm. And turning around um, quickly when the ball's on the ground is not a strength of either player. Um, Saab is probably the fastest player of the game, though. So. Sort of gets gets away with it a little bit more, I think. Yeah, and it, it might sound sad, but you almost could change your tip if if you were to get that tip that uh, the Bulldogs are going to change one of their members in the back five out and put someone else. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's most fans think there's two major changes that need to happen. So yeah, mm, so, I don't want one involves be... a winger and one involves the halfback position, but we won't be targeting any players, of course. Uh, so. But yeah, definitely. Yeah, there definitely could be one of those games where we walk out twenty to twelve or eighteen, twelve winners. Because Manly, god awful in the first two games, yeah, god yeah. awful. But so, it's the first time at Four Pines Park, they got the redevelopment in uh, one of the ends where they got the center of excellence yeah. in it. It's a new grandstand. Apparently, it's very exciting. It's the biggest facelift that that stadium has. Thing. It's gonna look a bit weird because they got some really shitty old grandstands wrapping around, and they're gonna have this well, new prestigious. 
grandstand behind the po- got one it'll, of the goal posts. Tell you what, it'll be interesting to look at because I'm much more excited for a new stand than I am for a new screen. So um, if, it's, if, it's, if it's modern, doesn't really matter how big it is. If it's modern, um, it makes it look like that Brookvale is heading towards the 1990s, then, then I'm a fan. Uh, they're still 30 years behind, but um, at least we, we've got movement there, yeah. Yeah, so the, it's something, but it's something actually that I don't know if many people go on Manly Seagull's social media um, and stuff, and they've been promoting it, but it's been something the players, they've been actually talking about it all off-season and how they've redecked the surface and they've put the, um, obviously that grandstand, I can't tell you if it's northern or southern end of the stadium, but there's yeah. a new grandstand. What's Fulton, going to increase Fulton Menzies stand, yeah. I think. Yeah. Which is going to increase capacity, but not just increase capacity. It's going to increase uh, game day experience by actually getting a seat back there instead of being on a hill and actually getting a better view. Because, you know, sitting from up there, looking down behind the goalpost, is actually not a bad spot to sit when you've got a bit of yeah. height being behind. So it's going, to, it's going to increase everything for them. But they've been talking about it. I've heard Cherry Evans mention it so many times, so many times. And he even somehow brought it in his press conference, being excited to go back there and play their first yeah. home game. In front of the new grandstand, not just the first home game, in front of that grandstand, and um, the Manly players have been talking it up. So it could be a little bit of an event for the Seagulls. Look, it's funny because, like, if you're listening to this, you go, "Why are these guys talking about Manly so much?" Obviously, we're NRL fans, wide more wider than just the Bulldogs, and the Bulldogs are our our passion. But um, elevation is key wherever you are. If you can just get height, I mean. I've been to Doonside Footy Field. It's still on top of a water tank or whatever it was. It's a great view. On the <laughs> corner, on the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So elevation is is uh, is key, hundred um, percent. Tell you what, that stadium wouldn't be too bad though if all they if they just gutted those older stands and put new seating in them. That's all you had to do. And mm. it could be this boutique, small but modern stadium. It doesn't have yeah. to be a combank. It doesn't have to be a new pillar stadium of next year. But if you just upgrade some of the like the seating facilities. All the way around, and maybe eighteen thousand capacity would be all right. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, even if you don't want to get rid of the hill, can we put some sort of uh, like covering above the hill? Because so, so when it rains, people can still go. Yeah, because yeah. once it rains anywhere with a hill, yeah, you've lost it. like thirty. You've lost forty percent of your crowd. You've got four thousand, five thousand people showing up. I know it's, it's mm. a massive bugbear of mine, so we won't get into that. Um, won't get into that now. Uh, unless if you've got an old dog, I think that pretty much wraps us up. Yeah, I actually do have an old dog. You sent me the challenge. Yes. Uh, this year, and I remembered right. the I remember the challenge. So think of a player who might not have had, you know, ma- massive impact in the sense of NRL games, but mm. still had an impact on the club in a positive way. If it was, you know, last week with Adam Bridston, uh, you know, yeah. So I've gone with a, a different old dog, and I. Felt like an interesting one. I've gone with a fullback. Yep. I thought that would be enough for you to blurt it out. Um, only Todd, played 25 Todd in a row. No, very close. Actually, almost many. Trent Cutler. Yes, it's Trent Cutler. 25 <laughs> games, 10 tries, three of them at fullback, five on the wing, seven on the interchange bench. Now, we'll just, I'll quickly touch base on his NRL career. Uh, you know, so I've highlighted the games he's actually played and what positions he's played. He played off the interchange bench as a second fullback at what a couple of games. He, in my opinion, again, another player who comes through now 
team through the last couple of years, he's probably already played those 25 games already for the Bulldogs instead of the uh, the span he had. Um, he was, you know, he had great depth, like it was really good depth. He felt like, but it was someone that was, he was well known by the Bulldogs fans. Mm. Um, and it was one of those ones where you reserve grade, where you actually, you know, how you said we felt more connected in the, yeah, the early 2000s. Part of that would have been the fact that he, whose father is Stan Cutler. So yes, that's correct. Massive yes. legend of the club. Obviously, we don't need to go into Stan's amazing career. Surely we've done it previously somewhere. Uh, if not, we will have to later. But, um, yeah, I think that plays into it as well. Troy Cutler being Stan's Cutler. Everyone wanted him to, you know, really take off. And how good would it be to have, you know, Stan Cutler's boy um, playing top grade. But, yeah, I think he had a pretty decent career uh, given the parameters that we're doing old dog this year players that have had an impact on the club, but may have not necessarily played a lot of top grade games. Um, I'll tell you what, another achievement of his was he actually played in the 2005 world club challenge game as yes. well. So it might've only been, was it 20, you say 24 NRL games or 25 NRL games. So 25 NRL games. You've got an extra, like, you know, playing in the World Club Challenge as well over in England uh, in front of a large crowd is is uh, a huge achievement, I reckon, as well. 37,208 uh, people at Leeds that night. Um, mm. Yeah, so a massive achievement. Yeah, look at, like, look at the games. 10 tries in 25 games is a decent strike rate for anyone playing 80 minutes. Talk yeah. about seven of them on the bench. Then you talk about how he started his career. He started his career in 05. Uh, I think most people remember what happened in 05. Uh, one of the bull, one of the two years of the Bulldogs in the early two, uh, in the 2000s where injuries really ripped through the Bulldogs' side. He uh, so he, then you got to consider that so he had not as strong of an, a, a team around him when the injuries ripped through the Bulldogs playing you know the wooden spoon, wooden spoon year. Then you got to consider he played seven games on the interchange bench where times varied for him when he came on, what type of role he played, mostly like a second kind of fullback type of role, bit of hooker and attack, going to dummy half and running out of dummy half. So that makes it even harder to score tries uh, from that position. It's, you know, so to get 10 tries in 25 games is a good achievement, is a good strike rate. If you're a winger, played the full, you know, 80 minutes on the wing let alone playing it in different positions and then playing fullback, playing wing. Thing before I want to I want to highlight, there was actually an interview I remember him. I might get the year wrong. It said he it said he finished at the Bulldogs in 2011, but I swear it was in uh, 2012. This interview, I thought he was playing New South Cup, but I might have got the year wrong when they interviewed him and said the Bulldogs coming first in New South Cup uh, as the captain. Like, how do you keep momentum rolling? And he went to respond with something like, oh, wasn't aware that we're coming first. My main focus is on the NRL boys. I know we're doing very well down here, but wasn't sure if we were first. Knew we were somewhere up the top. So that's kind of cool. So he was so focused, you know, um, about the NRL. I thought that was a pretty cool response. He he just looked in a bit of shock. But look at some of his achievements. Uh, well, fun fact, he did move to Western Suburbs in 2008, but then was back at the Bulldogs in 2009, um, he played in the grand finals in 09, 10, and 11, winner for the Bulldogs. He 
was also someone who was named in 2011 after, you know, a few years not playing a top grade game, being named. And he was at actually the game we went to he, um, when they announced Trent Cutler. It was a last minute inclusion into the game. Um, so just around the club, um, you know, he was a terrific player. Like, he, I just feel like another person if he could have played today. Now coming through yeah. as Trent Cutler now, that he could he be fullback for the Bulldogs? He might have been that ball playing lock. Um, strong starts, Hoodie Doll Dog. Add a bright to the Trent Cutler. Let's see yeah. how far you can go before you start. Um, before it becomes a little bit weaker. But I think that's a good point to sign off this week's uh, main NRL Bulldogs fan podcast episode. Um, just quickly, South City beat Mouthies 22-18 in the New South Cup before I just throw that in there. But we will, again, do that little 10-minute quick junior rep update as well for you guys. <laughs>